Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 124. We continue through the Songs of Ascent. If you would turn there or look in your bulletin. Um, We're going to be looking at three passages of Scripture this morning. So if you want to put uh, a piece of paper or pencil in these other two passages and follow along, that's great. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning or don't think you could find it fast enough, then you can just listen to me when I get to those passages. They are... Uh, essentially Numbers 16 and Exodus 14. I'll tell you the verses when we get there. But we're going to be in uh, Numbers 16 and Exodus 14 uh, at some point in the sermon. So uh, if you would stand and let's do as we've done a few times and let's proclaim God's word together. uh, Reading from Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side... Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that is what we need each day. We thank you for this psalm. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us see this morning that all the hope of all God's people at all times is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Now, even in this short psalm, I found there is far more to ponder and proclaim than one sermon slot and one attention span can abide. But fear not, I have edited significantly. Keep your Bibles open and your mind attuned. Listening to a sermon is an active thing. It's an active thing. Our psalm begins with this phrase, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Before we even read on, we understand something about the meaning of this phrase, don't we? If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, it's pregnant with meaning It's pregnant with meaning and it builds anticipation. Let me illustrate. Imagine you walk up to a group of friends who are already in the middle of a conversation and you walk up and you hear this phrase, if it had not been for that ink cartridge we found, dot, dot, dot. Well, even if you only hear that much, you know something. Probably there was an important document that might not have been printed in time if that ink cartridge had not been found. Can I get an amen? Families all over the congregation know what I'm talking about. I don't know, maybe it's a paper you've had all semester to write, and it's now due in 28 minutes. That is not directed at my children. They're directing it at me, I promise you. But maybe it's more important than submitting a paper on time. What if you come into the middle of a story and you hear this? If it had not been for that $20 bill I found in the bottom of my purse, dot, dot, dot. Well, again, just with that much, you know something, probably. You know that someone was needing to make a purchase. Perhaps they were at lunch with a friend and their credit card declined. 
So they frantically dug through their purse or their wallet and they found some cash they had forgotten about. Well, what about this one? If it had not been for that unexpected donor match. Well, now it's getting serious, isn't it? You see, in each of these scenarios, there's a problem. There's a crisis. And each time, there's a necessary solution. But if you think about these examples, you will notice something else. As the severity of the problem increases, so does the nature and the importance of the solution. Let me say it this way. The severity of the need is directly proportional to the required worth of the rescue. The severity of the need is directly proportional to the required worth of the rescue. An ink cartridge saves the grade. A 20 may save some embarrassment. A new organ saves a life. Now let me ask you, from the proclamation in verse 1, how dire was the situation of Israel? If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Listen, when the only help, the only hope, the only rescue for your situation is the maker of heaven and earth, you've got a big problem. And it requires a great rescue. Now this morning as we walk through the rest of this psalm together, we're going to look at the nature of the crisis in the life of Israel. The joy of her deliverance and the source of all her hope. And we're going to see how Israel's story becomes our own. So keep your Bibles handy. Here we go. The crisis. Verse 2 tells us the nature and severity of the crisis requires the Lord's rescue. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us. And we may question the psalmist here. We might say, well, I mean, just how bad was this uprising against God's people? I mean, wasn't this something the king and the armies of Israel could handle? The psalmist anticipates our question. And with two vivid word pictures, he answers us. And though we cannot say for certain which events in the history of Israel the psalmist is writing about or referring to, I want to just visit quickly a few possible places in the history of Israel that will help us understand these word pictures. Now, word picture one, swallowed up alive. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed up alive. Now, some might imagine this points to being swallowed by a great beast. We might think of the story of Jonah and the great fish. But number 16, number 16 is going to show us the fear and the terrifying nature of being swallowed up alive. See, there was this man named Korah, and you can begin turning to number 16 if you're going to read along. There's this man named Korah, and he had risen up against Moses and Aaron. He was angry that Moses and Aaron and all the Levites were set apart to do special work before the Lord. In fact, he ended up inciting the whole congregation against God's chosen leaders. And God tells Moses, listen, warn the people to get away from Korah and his buddies. It ain't going to be good you got to get the people away from these guys. 
Let's pick up in, in verse 28. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, that's the place of the dead, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. As soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. Can you imagine that? That is terrifying. That is utter destruction and annihilation. Korah and his fellow rebels, their tents, their people, every possession, gone. In Psalm 124, the attack against Israel was so ominous that if the Lord had not been the one on their side, their destruction would have been this complete. Israel would have been wiped from the face of the earth, but the Lord was on their side. Now, word picture number two. Turn back to our psalm. I'll give you a second to flip there. And look at verses 4 and 5. The second word picture the author gives us is of raging waters. Now, now keep in mind, the author is still describing the severity of the crisis Israel was facing. Starting with verse 4, Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now again, there are several places in the Old Testament we could look to see this kind of danger. One, one obvious place might be the great flood in the days of Noah. But I want to take us to Exodus 14 and the crossing of the Red Sea. Now flip over to Exodus 14 if you're following along. And in, in verse 20, uh, 21, the people of Israel are camped on the banks of the sea. The Egyptian army is pursuing them. And Exodus 14, 21 reads, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now let me stop us right there. Men, women, children carrying all their possessions are fleeing before Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. It is not looking good. I don't know if you've ever tr tried to travel with young children across a parted sea. Well, let me tell you, it's tough. Continuing in verse 24, I have not done that. Okay, and in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Are you seeing a pattern here? Utter destruction of God's enemies. Now I want you to picture this event with me. I don't know exactly how deep the Red Sea is at the place where the Israelites crossed. There are a few of you who are wondering, does he actually believe this happened? Yes. We do. And let's just say conservatively that the wall of water on either side was 50 feet tall and about 20 miles long. Now imagine as the Egyptians are trying to make it back to shore, those walls of water at the command of God gave way. And a volume of water that none of us can fathom came crashing down on their heads. The force and the violence of the torrent would crush and drown everything in its way. The crisis Israel faced in the presence of wicked men threatened to undo them like a torrent of water covering their heads. But the Lord was on their side. Now let's move to the nature of the deliverance. See, the psalm takes a turn now from the nature and severity of the crisis to the joy, the joy of the deliverance. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And just as the opening proclamation predicted, the Lord has delivered his people from the hands of the evil men who have risen up against them. And two more word pictures describe the deliverance, this freeing feeling of deliverance. In verse 6, the psalmist compares the deliverance of the Lord to a narrow escape from the teeth of a wild beast. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go to a specific passage. Those of you who are taking notes later on, you can look up 2 Kings 2.23. You'll thank me later. But stay with me. An honest description of what a predator's teeth can do may be too much for us this morning. It might be too gruesome. But the deliverance of God here is like the exhilaration and relief of a narrow escape from the jaws of a wild beast. And in verse 7, he goes on, he compares this deliverance to a bird escaping the trap of a fowler. Have you ever seen a bird trapped in something? Fluttering frantically trying to escape? You see, when they they finally get free, it's such a picture of deliverance. In our old house, we used to leave the garage doors up. And ruby-throated hummingbirds, I don't know what was in there. Probably we spilled a Coke or something. I don't know. But they flew in there all the time. Every couple of days, I would come home and Sarah would say, there's a hummingbird in the garage. I had a routine. I'd go get the broom and I'd 
you know, I'd talk to it first as if that was going to do anything. But I, eventually when I gave up my argument that the door is open, just go. Um, I would get the broom and, you know, sort of scare them over. And sometimes I would get them right to the door and they would fly back into bondage. But when they finally got out, when they finally, finally realized they were free, they shot out of there like an arrow from the string. I mean, have you ever seen a hummingbird, like, with the pedal down? It's unbelievable. And they just fly out with exuberant, joyous freedom. They're back the next day, but for a moment, it's just everything. It's a picture of God's deliverance. It's a picture of God's deliverance, being set free from a trap. And now the source of all Israel's hope. In, in one short verse, verse 8, we see the source of all Israel's help and all Israel's hope. The psalm closes with these words, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so the psalm begins and ends with hope in and dependence on the good name of the Lord. You see, that phrase, the name of the Lord, it has embedded within it the Lord's character, the Lord's reputation, and the Lord's trustworthiness. When you hope in the name of the Lord, you've got it all. You've got it all. It's a wonderful psalm about God delivering his people. But I just want to acknowledge this before I continue. Some of you are sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, well, good for Israel. But what does that have to do with me? It's a reasonable question. And I want to acknowledge it and I want to try to answer it. There, see, there are some of us this morning who have recently been freed by the Lord. There are. And we skipped in here with joy today. I mean, like a bird from a garage, we flew in here full of joy from the top of our head to the ends of our toes, feeling like a bird set free. We've experienced it. And there are others in here this morning who have felt that at any moment, the waters were going to crash in on them. Like the struggle that they have been in was about to swallow them whole alive. And God in his mercy has rescued some of those people. And if it had not been for the Lord, they would have been undone. And more than they could before, they can honestly proclaim with the psalmist, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But some of you are thinking, where's my deliverance? I've waited on the Lord. He hasn't shown up yet. Some of you are here this morning on the brink and you don't know where your help is going to come from. I want you to know that I've been there. I do not want to explain away your pain. I don't want to mitigate your struggle. You've waited on the Lord a long time and you're still waiting. And even this morning, you may be thinking, how long do I have to wait? I want to answer you with one concrete example. How long might you have to wait 
you might have to wait something like 50 years. I'll be 46 years old in a few months. There has not been one hour in my entire life that I thought the tide might turn for the unborn in this country. Not one until Friday. And I know the court's decision does not end abortion in this country. I know there will be political battles in every state. But for the past 50 years, the Lord has been working behind the scenes to protect the most vulnerable people in our nation. And on Friday, for many unborn boys and girls, God's deliverance came. And through the prayers and the love and the support and medical care and the counseling that will be going on all across this nation in the coming years, many children who might have otherwise been swallowed up alive in the womb will breathe their first breath and cry their first cry. And I see in my mind's eye, and I've seen it all weekend, 15 years from now, a generation of those who, knowing their own story, will join their voices with the psalmist and proclaim, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. But our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Friends, I never thought I would see the day when Roe was overturned. I never thought I would live to see it. I'm amazed. And we rejoice together that God has acted on behalf of the unborn in this nation. If I can say it this way, they waited 50 years. You keep waiting for his deliverance. You keep waiting. He's working behind the scenes. And before I move to some application, I want to look back at Psalm 124 and notice something. Look back at your text, verse, uh, Psalm 124. There is not one singular pronoun in this whole psalm. Scan, scan it. It's just eight verses. Scan it. Look for our and we and us. Israel stood on the brink of utter destruction and they stood together. They hoped together, they proclaimed deliverance together, and they blessed God together. If you're here this morning and you've waited on the Lord alone, do so no longer. The church is here to love you and pray with you and wait on the Lord with you and to mourn with you and to struggle with you and to hope with you. And not only the church, the Lord himself is in your midst as you wait. Keep on waiting. But if this is still no comfort to you, if you're thinking, well, what if my deliverance never comes? What if it never comes? What if the Lord never rises to act on my behalf? <clears throat> Let me say this tenderly to you. There will come a day for each of us when the Lord will not deliver. Now I know that sounds shocking to the ear of the Christian. Let me explain. I don't know if you've noticed, but the mortality rate here on planet Earth is still holding steady right around 100%. You know, I have long thought that so much of the anxiety we experience is due to our double-mindedness. Here's what I mean by that. We hold two opposite positions at the same time. 
We know we are mortal. But we spend so much energy trying to find a way to hold on to this life. And let me say this plainly. This life is a precious gift. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. But do it with a future hope. Now listen, let me ask you this. If we took Psalm 124 and all that it says, and we just said, all the hope in this psalm is really only for the next life. It's not. It's not. But just say for a moment that all the hope we see in 124 is just for the next life. Let me ask you, would you feel cheated? I mean, what good is a future hope to this life? It's so good. It's so good. Future hope is the key to living this life well. If your life on earth is not bathed in the hope of the life to come, you won't really enjoy this one. You'll live every day of your life afraid of the final one. What if I get a fatal disease? You might. What if I die in a car crash? You could. What if my heart finally gives out at 123 years old? It will. Listen, I don't mean to be flippant, but if the Lord does not return in the next 100 years or so, you are going to die. We live in such an age of medical advance and healthcare and uh, you know, kale milkshakes and all that, that we have to be reminded that we are going to die. Where does your hope lie? Where does your help come from? Is it in your bank account? No, no, listen. Really think about this. Really think about this. Is your hope in your account balance? Have you believed or convinced yourself that somehow, somehow, your prosperous, successful life, life will escape death? Are you hoping for medical breakthroughs, a future colony on Mars? Our hope and help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I want you to have a great hope in the Lord today and for today. I do. And I want you to hope that he may deliver you from all harm in this life. He very often does. But the greater hope is the sure future we have with the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in first. If you think this is just Eric coming up with this. Listen, I got this from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. <laughs> Future hope is the key to an earthly life of freedom. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do not read Psalm 124 with timidity, saying to yourself, I sure hope the Lord rescues me like that. He's already done it. However many days you have on this good earth, whatever ailment or accident or age finally sends you into his presence, the Lord has been on your side already. You know how I know it? Because there was one who cried out whom God did not rescue. There is one on whom the snares of evil men fell and the snares were not broken. As a Roman whip tore at his flesh like a predator's teeth, Jesus' flesh was torn to pieces for us. 
And when he finally reached the hill called Golgotha, where he was crucified, he was barely recognizable. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the the crucifixion, said this, his appearance was so marred, he was almost unrecognizable as a human being. And most profoundly on the cross, Jesus Christ had that wave, that raging water, the torrent of the holy justice of God against sin, crash down upon his head. It was not judgment on his sin. It was judgment on ours. And God did not rescue him. And after he breathed his life and he was put in that tomb, he was swallowed up by the earth. And up until this point, God did not rescue him. Everything the psalmist says God rescued Israel from, God subjected Jesus to for the sake of those who will put their trust in him. Isn't that amazing? And just a few verses after describing Jesus' disfigurement at the cross, Isaiah writes of this great act of love. And sacrifice that Jesus made for his people. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, crushed by the wave of God's judgment for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. God is on your side. He has already delivered you. Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. But you know what? Even that is not the source of our hope, is it? You see, that's not the end of the story. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ is not the end of the story. You see, as that large round stone was rolled in front of that tomb... And fell into its resting place with a loud and ominous thud. It would have seemed any hope in the saving God had just been dealt the final blow. But that was not the end of the story. The schemes, the whips, the crosses of evil men did not have the final word. And three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Christians, so will you. So will you. Your help, our help and hope is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where Christ has led, you will follow. Hope. And to the one this morning who has not put their hope in Jesus Christ, let me say to you with care and concern and clarity, as of this moment, the common grace of God is holding back the walls of his own wrath against your sin. Just as the walls of the Red Sea stood at ready to come crashing down on the heads of the Egyptian army, the flood of God's holy justice is even now standing a million light years tall over your head on the right and the left. No money, no reputation, no strength, no advance in science will be able to withstand the onslaught of the righteous justice of a holy God. The Bible says one day we will all stand before God and give an account for our lives. If you stand before a holy and righteous God on your own record, the justice of God will swallow you alive. 
So let me invite you instead. Come to Jesus Christ and live. Every Christian knows that if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would have been swallowed alive. The floodwaters would have come on our heads, but in Christ, we are as free as a bird from the snare. And it is so good. The snare of death and sin and hell is broken, and we are free. The arms of Jesus Christ are open wide for you this morning. Come to him and live. Let's pray. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let all of Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Father, thank you. Thank you that you were on our side when we were not on your side, that you loved us when we were yet your enemies, and that the snare of death and hell is broken for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.